Okay, hi everyone. I'm Zara Mar, and welcome back to our podcast, Listen to Us Talk. Um, this is a podcast by the Non-Standard Project, and if you haven't heard about us, our mission is basically to build pan-racial solidarity on the high school level, and also to build communities where BIPOC can support one another and recharge. Um, this podcast specifically is basically an effort to highlight issues that uniquely affect Gen Z people of color, and also talking about large-scale issues through the lens of BIPOC youth. Um, so again, my name is Zaramar. I'm 17 and I'm a senior. Um, I think some of the issues that are most important to me personally are I'm very involved in like ICE and, and immigration conversations around the United States. Um, I also am I also am very much involved in like conversations with police brutality around the prison industrial complex. Um, those are probably the things that I find myself most like naturally drawn to related to activism. Hi, I'm Francis. I'm one of the co-founders of the Non-Standard Project, and I am also 17. And two of the things that I'm most passionate about within activism is regarding anti-Blackness within Asian America and also amplifying yellow voices. Um, hi, I'm 15. I'm, I'm Yan and I'm 15. Um, two, two topics I'm most interested in activism are environmental activism and again, amplifying Asian voices in America. Okay, so just for a little bit of a quick recap, this podcast is going to be about the election. So obviously on Saturday morning, it was announced that Biden would win the 2020 election. And in case you were not, I know there were varying degrees of like how checked in people were to this election, because um, obviously for a lot of people, it was very, very stressful. So in case you were not as checked in as maybe other people were, some key states that Biden won that ended up flipping were Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. Both Georgia and Nevada, as actually like was anticipated by a lot of people were both red at first, but then after counting mail-in ballots, eventually flipped blue, I think towards like the end of the week. Um, Georgia and Pennsylvania, sorry, Georgia. And he had Nevada for a while. Um, yeah, so that was like a little bit of a basic recap, obviously like not as detailed. Um, so I guess first we can kind of just start like, did y'all have any initial surprises from the election? What was like the beginning of that like for you? Um, I feel like, I, I followed it in the beginning and then like I got too stressed out by it because I had like other things to do and I can't check it like every five seconds but after like looking at the voter demographics it was really surprising how red like if you look at landmass most of like America is red but then the um like po where population density is highest like it's mostly blue in big cities so that was really interesting same with like how how many Latinx men voted for Trump I feel like that was really refreshing and like raises a lot of questions for me. Um, I saw a TikTok that it was a joke, but it also wasn't in that like I also looked at the like the district map of the U.S. And so like looking at how New York is a blue state, but we're mainly carried by New York City, which is very blue and the rest of upstate is very red. Um, and so like if you look at the district map, you literally have, and I'm stealing this from my international relations teacher, but she said, um, the map is literally just like parentheses of blue around red, which is which is true. And um, the TikTok that I saw was just looking at all these different parts of red, of like whether they were blue or red states, that like these little districts were blue and how those are the parts of the state that actually had things to do in like these are the parts of the state where you actually like 
go to Tennessee for? These are the you would go to New York to visit New York City. <laughs> you would go to California to to visit Los Angeles and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's like I thought that was a really funny, but also like meaningful interpretation of like why that is so, and that like it's because in urban areas a lot of people were like there is a higher population density. People often end up voting blue, especially in this election. And I think that's like, yeah, it has a, the argument between geographic density and population density has been like a very big topic, I think in this election and especially in the surfacing of political maps in recent months. And I think that that is something very important to account for when we look at why Biden won. Yeah, I think I was very much like similar to Ian. I was like very checked or actually kind of the opposite. Like I feel like on the first, like on Tuesday, I was very much like, I am not even going to look at what's happening. I took a nap as soon as school ended and then was like completely checked out. Um, I think that I, I checked back in when Biden had like 248 and Trump had 213 because I like physically could not deal with like trying to do school while also being like constantly getting election updates like I could not do it um but then the days after I and I knew this would happen it's why I initially didn't check in because I knew that I really wasn't going to be able to get anything done as soon as I like actually looked at things um then the, the days after I was very much like refreshing every two seconds like I remember I was in a breakout room for school with someone during when like Georgia started getting really really close and when Georgia was like I remember we were in the zoom room and I had like refreshed and I was like oh Georgia's at a point two differential Georgia is at a point two differential like it was like as soon as that happened I was on it because that was like for me that was a really really stressful couple of days like when it was like we all kind of knew Georgia probably would flip but at the same time it was like you don't want to give yourself that hope. So you are like constantly checking to make sure that things are not changing or that like, you know, stuff like that. And I was, that was like very much where I was. Um, I think I wasn't necessarily surprised, but I think that a good point to make in terms of like, I think a lot of people thought that it would just be like a landslide. And I think there is something to be said about the sheer amount of people that did still vote for Trump. Um, I, I, I didn't look at the like original ending number, but I think it was something around 70,000 people that ended up voting for him. And I might be wrong about that, but I just think like, there's a lot to be said about the fact that like almost, no, I, yeah, it was, it was 71,000. Um, I think there's something to be said about the fact that like a lot of people voted for him, like essentially half the country voted for somebody who at this point has been like blatantly racist, sexist, homophobic. Like it was, it was, it was insane. Oh, million. I meant to say 70 million. Um, but yeah, I just think that was that was not necessarily surprising to me, but it was just like a little bit of a affirmation of like what we're going through and what we live in, the society we live in. I think on the topic of you talking about you being stressed about the election, I think that the election has definitely been a very stressful time for a lot of POC and a lot of LGBTQ plus folks, like especially within our own organization, when we talked about the election, like amongst ourselves, I was definitely very careful with how I wanted to like talk about it. And then also like to make sure that we were offering 
these communities of support and like spaces for people to heal if healing needed to happen um and so i think that especially in this election there was a very big disparity in how youth of color reacted or just people in color in general and white people reacted um and for comedic but also oversimplification purposes um over discussion with one of my friends we simplified the white like the white youth response to the election in two different characters um and so you have one person that is more often than not like very like upper middle class or like rich leaning um white cis and usually a guy who says like don't worry like the election doesn't matter you'll be okay like telling their poc friends like you'll you'll be okay these are the reasons like it doesn't matter who wins the election or not you your life will be like the same or whatever Uh, and the next character is um a usually like upper middle class or like middle class like liberal cis white girl who says like i'm so scared i'm so scared i'm so scared i'm so scared like this election is making me terrified i'm so scared i'm so scared i'm so scared and i think that like this like these two are very different characters and how white people have perceived this election one being like i don't really care it won't really have that big of an impact on me the other being like i am terrified and i wanted to know how that made you to feel as like people of color if that like legitimized your feelings or if that made you feel over dramatic or except yeah i definitely think that on i mean i, I can speak a little more to like the like cis upper middle class liberal girl um and i, I think i i go to a school that is like predominantly liberal i don't want to say like mostly left-leaning because i think in terms of like actual political spectrum it's more so like left slash moderate um and in my advisory my advisory which is like my house is like mostly white and so a lot of the conversations that we have had or, or that we have around the election tend to be like very much like uncontroversial like not really like really just things like oh like just very like things that we know none of us will like disagree with each other on as to not like because we see each other every day so we can't really like get into that many arguments because it's like you see that person every day um and something that we see a lot is like people like specifically says hat like upper middle class liberal white girls will just will say will like exaggerate how scared they are like they'll be like I'm so scared I'm terrified like I genuinely I was so stressed and maybe you were really stressed that is valid we had a person who was spewing literal white supremacist rhetoric in office for four years like it is valid for everyone to be stressed and for everyone to be like that's not okay right but but to the degree where you are acting as if you you could possibly be feeling the same fear and stress that I'm feeling in this moment. One, I hate to, it's just not true. And, and, and second of all, I feel like it, I, I want to speak from like a personal point of view. It did kind of make me feel like I'm just going to keep my opinion quiet because I don't even know how I could present it in a way that would make people realize just how scared I am. You know what I mean? Like, the way that it was presented by, and I, and this is not like a specific girl or a specific person, but I'm just going to say her for the benefit of the conversation. Like the way that it was presented by her is like, 
I am terrified. This is the most scared I've ever been. How do you like one up that? There is no real way in words to like articulate how I was feeling because it wasn't even just scared or just stressed or just exhausted or just tired. It was like a mix of everything. And so how do I say that? You know, like how, and then how do I say that and have people actually understand it? And, and so it, it also just like, stri- like strikes me a lot how easily they're kind of able to articulate that point, like how easily they're just able to be like, yeah, I'm scared when I like cannot even describe, like I couldn't even begin to get to the place where I could like describe everything I felt in these last couple of days. Like it's just not really possible because the emotions not only change so quickly, but we're like emotions that I don't even know how to like name, honestly. Like, and so I just, that was something that really, and I don't necessarily think that it's like, like ostracizing like I feel like that might be a little bit that might just me be me being like very dramatic right now um but I do think that it's a little like it makes me a little more tentative to speak or it just will make me a little bit more like okay maybe I'm just gonna like sit this one out because I I think it's very much like a choose your battles kind of thing and I don't know if I want to like if that's the particular like hill I want to die on you know um and I yeah that's that's how I made that's how that particular one made me feel and my school has like a, a lot of those people. I think some people are not like that, but I think it has a lot of them. So it's difficult to like, you know, like you just can't really just, I don't know. yeah. Um, I feel like adding on to what Zaramar said, like I do online school, but then like going onto Instagram, there's this stark contrast of this cis, cis like white girl who's like, I'm scared, I'm in fear of my rights, as though it would disappear if Trump was elected, which first of all, rights don't, aren't lost like that. It's not, and you most likely would not be affected. And then you have like the rich white boy who's really apathetic towards it. It's like, okay, elections here won't really affect me, which is true, but then they just essentially do not care. And then they will actually, like, at least in my experience, they would like call other people out and they would say, why are you like making this a huge deal? Like, why are you centering the election? as like this current thing that's going on. That's the only thing that's going on in your life. And they're almost criticizing you for being too political. And I feel like that's a privilege to even not be political and to just say, it doesn't matter to me because you know that it won't affect you. Yep. I think on the topic of like white girls saying my rights are threatened and I'm not saying that white women can't have like female autonomy or like anything anything threatened especially because we have like we live in a sexist world but also that like just in specific I'm reminded of the abortion discourse after RBG died and how it was a lot of like cis white girls in blue states being like I will not be able to have an abortion. Sarah Bar told the story about how a girl in her school was like oh sorry can can I say it? No, go ahead. I mean, we're not naming names. <laughs> How a girl in her school um, was like, should I get an IUD now? And after RBG died. And it's just like astounding to me because you you live in a blue state, which means that you will likely have access to abortion. And even if you lived in a red state, it is usually white people who have a disproportionate access to intergenerational wealth that will be able to have access to uh, like abortions outside of the state or abortions outside of this country. Sorry, my, there's, there's a lot of background noise. Um, but I think like that stress of like their own rights and their own 
I'm not saying that like white women can't worry about their own rights, but like this like stress about things that like they likely won't have to worry about delegitimizes this like already present problems that like abortion has never been accessible for POC. Like so many POC at like abortions are expensive. Some abortions are not offered in like a lot of like predominantly POC communities. And so like maybe a lot of POC have to travel like farther to get access to an abortion. Maybe they don't have time to travel that much further on like, let's say like on their weekends or whatever. Like abortion has never really been accessible. But like if you think that it is one thing for something for a group of people to never have access to this thing in the first place or to have like limited and nuanced access to it and another group for to say that like that thing will be threatened to be taken away from them when it likely will not be and I think that just like delegitimizes us and like makes us feel if you're so scared how should we feel and it makes us feel even more scared and it feels like a tactic of like fear-mongering where like we just keep getting more scared and also like what Zaramar said like is this what the fight we want to like like die and on the hill <laughs> the hill we want to die on and <laughs> and I think like that ends up to like a lot of like suppression of POC voices and concerns yeah I definitely really agree and I think adding on to that um I think it kind of goes down to like the way that a lot of people have come to think about intersectionality because I think you know it was a term it's one of those things like I think it was introduced a little bit like a couple years ago not introduced obviously it's always been a term but I think people in in the way that now people are running with like white passing and terms like that like it was introduced a couple of years ago and I think the way that people tend to think about it is like very and I'll like explain this, but I feel like it's very mathematical in the sense that they, they think of it like an equation. Like it's like, if you're white, you have this much privilege, but then if you're a woman, it like subtracts this much privilege. So then you have like this much privilege total and like that's your like privilege quota, right? And that's how much privilege you have. And if you have like a certain amount of privilege, you can get things like abortions, but if you don't, then you can't. And so like, <laughs> you know, like it's stuff, I feel like people think, tend to think of it very much like that, but intersectionality rests on the concept that it is not like that, that your identities work in context of one another. So you're not just like a white person who is also a woman and those identities work separate from each other. You're a white woman. And to be a white woman is different than to be a black woman. It's different to be a cis white woman is different than to be a trans white woman. Like these are all different identities that make you interact with the world in different ways. And it's not due to the individual identities but it's due to the combination of them and so when you kind of when when you kind of isolate that one identity and you say because of this one identity i will face this and don't consider how all your other identities are going to interact with like that that like reaction not only are you like misunderstanding intersectionality but you you're like you're you're just making it more difficult like i think that's where it comes in is like you're making it more difficult because obviously that's something that's very personal to people. So I don't want to go up and tell you like you as obviously like I can. And I, 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 a lot of times like don't really feel any problem with going up to someone and like saying things in very blunt terms, but I don't always want to, like, I don't always want to have to be that person. And so it, since it is something that's so personal, I think it becomes difficult to interfere in that way. And to say like, 
well, actually, because you're a white cis woman, this is what will probably end up happening to you, especially because I don't really know their life. So I don't, I don't want to assume those things. And so I, I think that it, it comes down to a key misunderstanding of what intersectionality actually means. And like the message behind intersectionality was supposed to be, don't look at your identities as separate, like as separate you like units, you know what I mean? Like, I think we all knew that before the term intersectionality was introduced, I think we were all aware that like, I am a cis woman and I am also a woman of color, you know? Like though, I think I, I knew those two identities existed within me along with many others. But I think intersectionality more so teaches you how those identities interact with each other and with the world. And that is like a key thing you need to understand to be able to be in these conversations, to be able to like have opinions about these things. Um, Cause or else if you don't, you're just gonna completely misinterpret how like political policies or even like how the world is going to interact with you. And I, then it like gets really complicated and like very, it's just, it's not misinformation, but it just can lead to like misconceptions and misunderstandings. And it, yeah, it just gets into that territory. I think I'm reminded of, um this talking yang article called um, called decolonization is not a metaphor and basically talking yang argued that white people so like settlers really um love claiming indigeneity i'm, I'm sorry if i'm saying the word wrong i'm terrible at pronunciation indigeneity <laughs> um because it like indigeneity okay um we'll link the article in after this podcast but um it's how like white people love claiming some kind of form of oppression that like makes them feel like deserve more like attention time and like and okay like I will clarify that like um in the in the new Netflix I don't actually don't and it's not new and the Netflix um movie the trial of the Chicago 7 there's like an interaction between this anti-Vietnam war protester like who or, organizer Thomas Hayden and Bobby Seale who is like a member of the Black Panthers who's like a really important member of the Black Panthers um and this interaction is basically Bobby Seale just like criticizing Thomas Hayden like are you are you like it like why are you here and it's basically like oh I want to fight against my like the dad and the dad is like America and America is like, all the privileges and things America gave white people like like mainly like middle class or like upper middle class white people and how like oh like there are things that we don't like and we're going to rebel against you because it gives them purpose and like I've heard within the space of this election I have heard so many white people say like campaigning for x and x or phone banking for x and x gave me my life's purpose and that just hits me like really wrong because those politicians that you are phone banking for most of their platforms are based on either lgbtq plus like campaigns or poc campaigns and so we end up being the forefront and like the symbolic pawns of your political agenda you win and then you don't really listen to us and the fact that like you we have to be represented the fact like represented as in like white people white politicians are representing poc interests not like poc representing poc interests like the fact that we are being represented and not like represented by a white person you know and i think that it's just like 
politics shouldn't be something that is like a guilt relieving tactic for white people to feel better about their accountability in white supremacist systems. And it feels like that. And this election felt like that, especially like during pre and after the election, I still feel like that. And I feel so uncomfortable. I know like everyone's happy, not everyone, all all non-Trump supporters are happy about Biden being president. But it just makes me really uncomfortable when like white people are like the most celebratory of like Biden and like they're posting like like photos of them at Washington Square Park and et cetera. And it's it makes me feel like it makes me feel uncomfortable that I don't think they've put in that effort like a lot of the time. I'm not saying all of them, just a lot of them are like, oh, I, we're celebrating our efforts when I don't know how your your efforts really manifested beyond you putting something on your private story for like one day. And it just makes me feel like used as a like symbol for something that I don't feel like represents me or listens to me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I feel like maybe, that's fine. I feel like maybe um, also I think we can shift a little bit. Um, I think this is something that I, for me, like when I saw it emerged in the couple of days before Tuesday, like the, the official election day, but also I think kind of persisted like during the election. And essentially I kept seeing it up until Biden won. Um, but the whole like race war rhetoric and then the whole thing about how like if you're a person of color and then um, Trump wins, you're like basically gonna die post-election and that you like have no choice. Like once, <laughs> once, once it hits 11, once it hits 12 o'clock on election day, it becomes illegal to be any kind of minority. And the way you get those rights back is if Biden wins, but if Biden loses, you already lost them you know, like that kind of rhetoric I saw a lot or like when people, I would see like someone posting a comment about how it's gonna, I think there were ways to do it, right? Like I think that I, I said this in understanding yesterday, but I saw a TikTok of somebody who posted something that was like, I'm gonna be riding tomorrow in DC. I'm gonna post one TikTok if I get arrested and can't afford bail. I'm gonna post one TikTok if I'm medically incapacitated and I can't afford my hospital bills. I'm gonna post one TikTok if I die. Um, and he was black and I think that is like a very rational way to take it because there is a very real threat, especially as a BIPOC, but especially if you're black, if you're protesting, that that is a very real threat. But then I also saw like just a, a large amount of white people just flat out posting that like, don't go outside at all for weeks if you're a person of color because you will die. And then there was a map of like places where the KKK and the Proud Boys are going to be active that I tried to find online just to see if it was like real because to me it just looked like a bunch of words someone tweeted and I was like okay where where did this come from um and I couldn't find it but and it like it was like basically every state like the proud boys and the kids are going to be active in every single state so I should just never leave right like that kind of stuff and I I mean I, I think me personally I think to the degree that people were doing it I felt like it was really dangerous um and I think that I saw people literally like in comments of like people saying they were going to like go out and sacrifice their life, like on completely unironically. And that is not like, I make jokes about it with my friends, but that is not okay to be serious about, 
especially because I feel like it trivializes the very real threat that people who were protesting are like the very real threat to their lives that they're going through. Like that is not something to to joke around about the flickering. <laughs> That's not something to joke around about. That's not something that you should like make a little TikTok about to get like 400k likes on it. Like it's not funny. It's not a joke, especially coming from a white person who even if they did go out protesting, arguably like I don't think that they hold any threat on their life. Um, I just think that that to me was like very insensitive um, of people to even like. And I know that they weren't joking about it, but the fact that they think it's like an appropriate thing to talk about. Um, so yeah, that was like. Oh yeah, I just, I had POC friends who were scared, like genuinely really, really, like I don't even think scared is the right word for it because after seeing this like content, whether or not we internalize and like, oh, like, this will or will not happen. Part of us, like we have read it. Some part of us knows it now, whether we like want to suppress it, think it's stupid or silly or whatever. She, she was scared for her immigrant parents to go vote, like genuinely scared. Was like, go, go like as soon as the, the, like the voting site opens, like come back as fast as possible. No, nothing happened, thankfully, but like, why like this fear mongering is like hurt like harmful i was upstate what on saturday when the like news was announced and we, we were i was with my family and we were hiking but like we were fine but like part of me even like as stupid as i thought it was i was like what if i die right now and and i'm also yellow so like acknowledging my proximity to whiteness i if i as like a yellow person up like in and I think it was even I'm not sure if it was a red or blue there were people celebrating Biden's like win so I'm assuming it was like a blue-ish town or like maybe like purple but like even there I was like scared and I think like this fear-mongering is like so you you can see how like even like unconsciously people of color like internalize this and then the next the very next day after posting this like oh like buy canned goods don't go grocery shopping for a week after the election don't leave your house lock your doors lock your windows like use the curtains like and then all the white people go to washington square park and take photos of timothy chalamet like i don't i i there's something wrong with that rhetoric where you can tell us be like hey by the way the clan might be active in your state good luck and then dip that's how it felt that's what it looked like and that's how we still feel like I I'm I think people need to be more maybe best interest but impact over intent yeah I'm just gonna keep responding to yeah and let us know when you're good I don't okay um um yeah I I definitely agree I think it, it came off as very just like we I was having a conversation today um, with someone in, in a class where basically it was like, among other things we were talking about, one of them was like living in New York and also like going to a private school. Are we in a bubble, right? Like in terms of political thought, in terms of ideological thought, in terms of like opinions on like human rights, are we in a bubble? Do, and you know, I have very like, I think 
the argument that we are in a bubble in terms of ideological thought, although is one, I think oftentimes I do find myself agreeing with it. I also think like who really is in a bubble because I personally know that like, even in my own school in which a lot of people would consider, white people would consider themselves to be in a bubble. I have had to go through racism. So who, who, who is not experiencing that ideological thought? And then, you know, connecting it to this conversation, I think that idea, like that, that bubble is what allows white people to do things like that. You, I think, I don't even know if I'm articulating this correctly, but it's like, you acknowledge, I don't understand how people can acknowledge that it is going to be dangerous for people of color in the days after the election, but then be perfectly fine with like having a party in Washington Square. Like, how do you do that? And, and, and do you not have like an internal conversation with yourself about your privilege in that moment? Like, are you not thinking about that yourself? And if you're not thinking about that, are you really even interacting in this? Like, are you interacting with the ideas about race and, and white privilege and white supremacy? Like, are you actually an ally or are you just like, you know, people don't like Biden, so don't like Trump. So you celebrate for Biden. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but it's just, to me, I think, I was very aware, like my mom, unless, like if Trump won, my mom just would not have let me leave the house. Like she just wouldn't have. It took a lot for her to even let me go to like school when like they're like with, they're like, we're allowed to do like five people per room or something. It took a lot for her to even let me do that. And that was like, you're going to school and you're coming right back home. Right. And, and to see people like going out to the park and like taking photo shoots and posting them on Instagram. It, it just seemed very much like no matter who wins, I probably would not have been allowed to leave the house. And yet there were people who I know were aware of that fact because they were posting that little map of where the KKK and the Proud Boys were going to be active, which was every state, and then going out. Like, I know you're aware of that fact. And I doubt those people are doing any kind of real reckoning with how their privilege is even manifesting during this time. And, and then I think what gets even more dangerous is the way in which this election is going to allow people to get so complicit, a lot of people are just going to stop. And, and I expect that. And I think it's gonna be those same people who don't haven't even really reckoned with their own white privilege and with the way in which they are complicit in white supremacist systems. I think it's gonna be those people. Um, and I think it's really sad because I think that there were a lot of people that I was like very hopeful for and that I thought, okay, like maybe they're open to learning, but I don't know. I just think that I've been thinking about that a lot the last couple of days. Yeah, I was, I think I was thinking about what you said and the internalizing about how like I've seen that in my own life. And I think my response to that is I think a lot of white people who think who've done, who take, who dip their toe in politics or activism I don't even know if it's called activism at that point but who dip their toe in anything human rights related and suddenly think they know more about race and POC or and I've seen this like so many times when like I go to a predominantly white and yellow school and um most people are upper middle class slash middle class but a lot of my friends who usually are come from like better socioeconomic backgrounds than I do forget that like 
because yeah, we go to the same school, we eat lunch together, we may or may not do the same extracurriculars. I don't have the same life that you do, right? And like they, I, I there have been so many instances of like white people like making jokes, making jokes and be like, oh, like what do you mean? Like you're you're white. To, and I'm like, no, I yeah, I'm really not. Or like saying we when referring to white people, and I'm like, not we, <laughs> you. <laughs> not we (laughs) and it's like I acknowledge I have benefit from a lot of privilege going to like a really good school and also going like having good education and I am like housed and we pay our bills and stuff but like at the same time like we have different lives we have different like struggles and I think that like white people thinking they know more about race just because of this like because they have BLM card in their bio it doesn't make sense. It, doesn't, it makes me really uncomfortable. Um, earlier in the non-standard project, there were white people from my school who, who were telling us how to do activism. And that, like, whether or not they, like, where their concerns came from, I, that's not their place. They don't know more about the POC struggle or pan-racial solidarity more than we do. And that's not saying that POC are perfect in everything they do. We are not at all. There's a hundred and fifty, like infinite criticisms that we can have about the stuff we do, but that doesn't make it's white people's place to like determine how we should feel. And like that goes like onto like in terms of the election, there have been people on both sides saying white people telling POC to not celebrate because we need to hold Biden accountable. And on the other side, white people saying, oh, but like, think about all the like Asian families and Latinx families, like in their homes celebrating and being happy to get, like, I know I don't need you to paint us as like in any way. Just like, I don't think white people know when to stop. It's like, it's nice that you're supporting BLM. It's nice that you're supporting these things, but like, there's a p- difference between allyship and support and speaking for people. Whether or not that's, whether or not whatever you're saying is true or not, it, 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 it doesn't feel comfortable like on the receiving end. Yeah, and I feel like white people have an issue of centering themselves in almost everything, <laughs> not to like make assumptions, but it seems like even with activism, when they get involved, they have like BLM cards. They're like, I'm an activist. I'm actively trying to help these people. And yet they try to speak for us you know they try to come from this point of view and they almost like you could feel that they speak about like these issues in relation to their whiteness and yet there's still this border around them being white and not being affected by these issues and then speaking so loud about these issues and talking about oh but this is happening to them and we should really help them and then like they need this help whilst saying that you know they are the ones to help us which i feel like it just comes from a place where you're giving help and it just ties into white saviorism and trying to like I don't know rid themselves of this white guilt from colonialism and yet you're only perpetuating it sorry I got it now I was chewing um I think yeah I think also um on this point about celebration I think it's really interesting because like 
I celebrated for a couple of hours, but I also was not celebrating that Biden won. I was celebrating that Trump lost. Like I was celebrating that he was no longer, obviously like Biden hasn't been inaugurated yet, but I was celebrating that he lost the election. That's what I was celebrating. And to a certain degree, like for me personally, like I kind of talked, I don't know if I talked about this in this podcast, but I said this in like a few of my classes, I was very, very pessimistic. Like, I know that there were people like on TikTok and and even in my life who were like, no, Biden's going to win. And I could see that. Like, I could see like, okay, initially some states are going to be red and they're going to count mail-in ballots and they're going to be blue and then it's going to be fine. But I didn't want to get my hopes up in a way that would then make me so much more disappointed if he didn't lose. And so I was like very pessimistic. And so I did give myself a little bit of time when I found out that like a bunch of places like AP and CNN had called the election. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I, okay, I, this is great. Like I woke up with that news. I was like, this is great. But I also, once I like celebrated for a couple of hours and was like happy for a couple of hours, like I do just feel like I am significantly on a better level now that Trump is not a president. Like I just feel like now instead of like my thumbs up on zoom being like now it's like like it's a little more enthusiastic but i still but i'm not like celebrating that biden is in office you know and my i mean with my parents it's a little bit different because i don't even think like they they really understand that he's just like moderate but still like they were celebrating that trump was not in office and i think that on on the point of celebration it's like for a lot of BIPOC families, for a lot of undocumented families, if I'm, I'm, I'm going to get like a little more specific in the example, that was a day to celebrate. So I, I think that I do, I did also like, I, I see the opposing side. I did also feel so weird, like watching like hordes of white people celebrating and like cheering. And one of my friends um, who lives, she lives also in Brooklyn, but she lives um a little bit closer to like Atlantic and she was like she just made she said earlier today where she yes yeah, stampedes of white people um she said earlier today where she was like you are a middle-aged white man who owns a brownstone in Brooklyn you will be fine you you would have been fine either way um and I think that a lot of people like it is just like a natural reaction like yay there's not a white supremacist in office anymore oh my god amazing but to the degree that I saw white people celebrating, I saw white people celebrating in a way that I saw no BIPOC celebrating. Like I didn't see, I, maybe maybe this is just the people I am around, but I remember, I, I, I like remember the reaction with each of my friends and I was like, did you see? You saw? Yeah. And then it was, that was it. You know, like we didn't like go out parading into the streets. Uh, my mom didn't even let me, wasn't letting me leave the house at the time. So we didn't like go out into the streets like yelling and screaming and like throwing confetti cannons around, you know, like that was not the vibe. That was not the vibe for Saturday. And like, I just think it's like a very visibly different reaction. And I also just think to my earlier point, like it is going to make, what I'm like scared of is because I'm just like very pessimistic. I know that it's going to make people complacent. And so I just can't, like, I can't, I can celebrate for a while, but then I'm like, okay, but now what do we do? Because now there's a certain degree of people who think this fight is over. I literally saw someone post something that was like, 2020 has been saved. 
systemic racism and, and, and all the issues that we've been fighting for consistently for years did not start with Donald Trump, will not be over because Donald Trump has is, is out of office. These issues started when America as a country, like when America in terms of like, they started when colonialism happened. That is when these issues started. These issues have been ingrained into the foundations of our country. That is not like, that's not negotiable for me. And so when I hear somebody say, this has saved 2020, who has it saved? What has it done? What, I'm sorry, what systems have been, what systems has has Biden being elected dismantled? Um, and it's interesting because I don't, I don't want to like talk for a while. I'm going to, I don't know, but I, we were like in our history class, we were talking about like the concept of the new Negro and like Elaine Locke. Um, and what, like basically what he considers, he like makes a comparison to Sojourner Truth, who basically like worked very hard within like she, she in her memoir or like, I, I forgot what it was, but she like speaks, very, she's like, I worked hard. I was like one of the most hardworking, she was a slave um, who freed herself. I was like one of the most hardworking slaves on my plantation I like and then she like consistently worked hard and then her master essentially said like I will if you work a little like harder this year I'll set you free a year early than like then like the state will set you free and then she hurt her arm working hard so she couldn't like she 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 still did her work and he didn't let her free he was like well you hurt your arm so you didn't do it I wanted you to do it so I'm not letting you free and then she decided okay I'm gonna free myself and I've seen like, and, and we were asked like, what is the comparison between, and he thinks that she's like an example of the new Negro, like working within the systems, like working within the systems of your modern society in order to advance your own position, like using that creative conscious. And people were like making the, we were asked to like make the comparison between her and like Kamala Harris. And I was like, well, genuinely, maybe this is just me being pessimistic again. I think the difference between her and Kamala Harris is that I don't see this, this administration, this campaign was essentially a campaign of compromise. I do not see in the next four years anything but compromise happening. And so for Sojourner, there was a point where she said, I'm leaving. Self-determination, I'm liberating myself from this. It's arguable whether or not that was actually liberation, but you know what I mean? And I don't know if we will see that with this administration. I don't know if we will see a point where we stop compromising and where they're willing to like go all the way, especially because Joe Biden is moderate. He's, he's like, he is. And, and honestly, so is like being a black South Asian woman does not make her inherently left leaning. That's especially considering her history. And so I, yeah, I just think, um, I'm I'm very pessimistic. I think we I think that's what this has established. Is I'm just very skeptical of. I don't want to see this as a victory because I'm just skeptical of of what these next four years will come. But I I think we just have to wait and see. But I also am like not excited. I don't know. When you talked about like the confetti cans, my first thought was like, who cleaned it up? Who cleaned that up? No, let me know because it was definitely maintenance workers for the city. But also I saw on um, the account that's been like amplifying a lot of protests since um, the death of George Floyd at Justice for George Floyd um, posted like 
if you can help with cleanup, like these are the parks and places that need cleanup. And I'm not to make assumptions, but I really don't think that the same white turnout for the Biden rally happened at the cleanup. And I think that that needs to be addressed, that like people celebrating versus the people who see the end of it, right? And like, I think also on top, like on specifically about the Biden rally, um, I saw so many white people posting it on their Instagrams, posting it on their Snapchats, posting it everywhere. And like, I'm not saying that it was a bad thing to go to the Biden rally. I think like it is a very important time to surround yourself with other people to celebrate. It, it gives you a sense of community, especially like at protests and rallies. Except I see a lot of people, white girls, bringing their like Canon camera, taking these black and white photos of like splashing water, putting it on their Instagram. It's like, we won, period. <laughs> and I know all of you have seen this. <laughs> or like putting it on your Snapchat and like aestheticizing it in the same way, bo- like white boys aestheticize AV. Like, oh, it's bad brick outside. And then like posting that with the same energy you post, like going to protests and rallies. It, it You're aestheticizing things that like, I know the Biden, like Biden winning wasn't inherently rooted in like POC struggle, except it was rooted in POC carrying him in Georgia. And, but also like Biden's campaign was rooted on two fronts, like the political and social climate BLM like created and COVID which disproportionately impacted black and brown communities. So like, you can't tell me that Biden didn't win on POC fronts. And the fact that it's white people, like exactly what Zara Mar said, I've n- I don't have a single POC friend who celebrated as much as white people did. And like, I honestly don't think I celebrated at all because when I, like when I, when the, when it was announced, I was upstate and we didn't have LTE. So like once we got LTE, like like data service, the one of the first things I saw was one of my friends messaging me about how like white people were coming at her for saying we should start holding Biden accountable. And these are the same white people who are like, settle for Biden. We're going to hold him accountable once he reaches office. And then it's like, we need to celebrate our efforts. Our efforts I really don't know what some of these white people did. I'm not saying that all white people did. I, I do respect a lot of white people who, who did a lot, put hours into doing stuff. Whether or not I agree that stuff was effective or not, I don't think, I don't think people in blue states, that's another to- topic, but like, I don't think a lot of these people did anything near as like voter registration in Georgia or like POC registration in like other states that like flipped those states. Um, but I, it's just, it makes me upset how white people delegitimize POC feelings after like, yay, we celebrate, but also like feeling sad because Biden's investing 300 million more dollars into policing and then, and then being like, no, but good things. Like less bad does not equal good. The Democratic Party does not equal good. And I think these equations of goodness is like what is preventing us from like moving forward. And I feel like it just has this history of like America viewing our politicians as our saviors. 
and that we just assume that Biden was safe, like racism and all these issues that are like ingrained in the very fabric of our like of our country. And yet we just expect this white man, like we're literally simping over someone's grandpa and you're expecting him to save everyone. It just makes no sense to me. <laughs> like, I can't. <laughs> and I just, it, I totally like lost my train of thought. <laughs> like, go ahead. <laughs> No, I mean, I was just going to say, um, I definitely agree. And I, I think my one hope, because I think that I'm pretty sure he's released like a couple of things that he is planning on doing. And, you know, some of those things include like rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, the World Health Organization. Um, I think he's going to reinstate DACA and also um, repeal the Muslim ban, I believe I heard that too. Like, I think those are like the main things. Um, yeah, most of it is like undoing things that Trump did. You know, like I, and and I think there is some validity to that. Like, I'm definitely very happy that some of the first things he said he's doing right off the bat are like things that like, you know what I mean? Like I'm doing this, 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 and this first. And although it's like kind of shitty that those are all just like undoing things that Trump did. I think it's, it speaks more, (laughs) it speaks more to like the fact that we're in a place where the first thing that needs to be done is undo the harms of a past president. Like, I think that speaks more to like our current societal climate, but, but I just think that I I truly hope that those people who said we need to settle and then hold him accountable, truly hold him accountable. And that what the, the, like the direction they decide to take it is not like, no, but like we did it. We got him out of office, you know, like we're done. I hope that they, that they follow through and they, you know, cause I think I, I keep like being really pessimistic in this podcast, but I just think that I genuinely hope that that happens because I think that if we are going to create any real substantial change, anything that that is not in the realm of just undoing things what Trump did, but things that actually move us in a forward direction, it needs to like, we need to hold them accountable because I think that a lot of, I anticipate that a lot of what's going to be done during these next four years, some things we are going to agree with, some things we are going to strongly disagree with. Like some things I anticipate, I, I people were like, oh, what will it be like to, to have a president that no longer has scandals? Every president has had scandals. Every president has had scandals. Don't, don't act like if these are going to be the next, the next four years are going to be a utopia and everything is like saved. And now that they have been elected into office, we no longer have to deal with keeping tabs on the president. We do have to deal with that. That needs to happen. That that needs to happen. Like, I know that people woke up to the need during these last four years, but I hope that they are as consistent. And I hope that they realize that just because the president is no longer like saying white supremacist things on Twitter, doesn't mean that he doesn't deserve to be held accountable. And doesn't mean that Kamala, the vice president, does not deserve to be held accountable. You know, I think both President both President Biden and Vice President Harris deserve to be held equally as accountable these next four years as like, for example, I have criticized Donald Trump. And I'm going to come to it with that exact same energy. And I hope, I really, really hope that most people also do. Um, I think that a lot, I think that it's evident by the amount of people that voted for Trump regardless that a lot of people are not ready for that. But I think that for the people who are ready for that and for the people who are ready to like, 
I don't know if we will get to that like radical change in these next four. I don't think we will in these next four years, but I do hope that people will be willing to criticize him and will be willing to like, I don't want to hear any, well, he's better than Trump. I don't, I really don't want to hear that. I really don't want to hear that. That is, I personally hope to put, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't want people to just like fall into this like complacent utopia. Um, and I just hope people take this seriously. And that's like what all, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. And I feel I like, just, oh, no, you go, you go. You go. <laughs> no, it's all. <honestly, laughs> no, I was like, I feel like people really like, they need to like think back. Like people elected Trump, you know, those people that voted for Trump that still voted for Trump this year, they're still in America. And that we can't possibly afford to be complacent because they're right there ready to vote, perhaps elect another Trump. So, you know, we don't know. So you can't possibly just settle for this moderate and not criticize him for perhaps like currently he's just planning to undo what Trump does, but what are actually his like policies, you know, what substantial change will he put in? Yeah, I just, I have two things. Just if you sold us on saying we're going to hold him accountable, you best hold him accountable. And that includes uh, Vice President Harris, but like, you best hold him accountable. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about was that what Zaramar said that like, just because he's not Trump does not mean he's good. And I, it, I, what's worse than people saying the Democratic Party is good is people who say, yeah, the Democratic Party isn't perfect, but that's the best we can get. I think that's genuinely worse because you are saying that is the best we can get, that we can imagine better futures. And who is at the brunt of the, this, the present we're in right now? It's like LGBTQ plus communities, POC, indi- like indigenous folks, et cetera, et cetera. And you're telling the rest of us that like, this is the best we're gonna get. Acknowledging that this world is imperfect and oppressive is worse because you're just telling us to be complacent, sit, eventually maybe things will be better, which I think is worse. And I think that like, we need to be open to imagining futures and white and POC don't need to be telling white people this every single day that we aren't, we don't need to educate you on things like that. And that like, we should be more open to like creating these better futures. Okay, um, 